I'd like to start off by saying a huge thank you to everyone who submitted the stories for this video. All stories in this video were submitted directly to me at asthereavendreams.com slash submit by viewers just like you lovely folks. Huge thank you again. And also, this should serve as a viewer discretion is advised. Some of the topics in these stories, probably sensitive to some viewers. So, yeah. Enjoy. Believe it or not, the scariest moment in my life occurred because of my best friend. Before I get to that story, let me give you some context. I became fast friends with a girl named Abigail when we were both freshmen in high school. We were inseparable. For all four years of high school, we did absolutely everything together. Every weekend she was at my house, or I was at hers, during the summer, we would alternate between our houses, never going more than a day without seeing each other. Our parents eventually gave up trying to get us to do anything apart, and even let us tag along on each other's family vacations. Over the course of our friendship, I learned that Abigail had a major flaw. She was insanely competitively jealous. This wasn't your run-of-the-mill jealousy. She would get crazy jealous if I got a cute boyfriend. The key word there is cute. If I dated a guy that she didn't think was attractive, she wouldn't get jealous at all. Her jealousy would manifest in getting angry at me for spending any time without her. As we got older, her jealousy made her extremely competitive with me over guys. If I met a cute boy, she would swoop in and try to steal his attention. Abby, as I called her, was gorgeous. She had jet-black, naturally curly hair that fell down her back in perfect ringlets, and the biggest blue eyes I have ever seen. She also had curves and a gorgeous smile. I, on the other hand, was insecure inside and out. I was by no means shy, but I never considered myself to be as attractive as Abby. I was kind of chunky, and I dressed modestly because I hated the way men stared at my chest. For me, it was no competition. Abby was the prettiest. When guys would hit on her, I just thought, well, that makes sense because she's gorgeous and is good at flirting. I didn't have enough confidence to flirt. I had a huge personality that I hid behind, and I thought all of my guy friends were just that. Friends. Because of this, I naively allowed Abby to bat her lashes and swoop in on guys that I was into. Looking back, it's obvious that these guys gave Abby attention because they knew that she would put out, but I digress. On to the story. It was the end of our senior year in 2007. Abby and I had been the youngest employees at a fancy restaurant for the previous three years, so... Several of our coworkers who were slightly older than us surprised us with the hotel party the night of graduation. By the time midnight rolled around, there were at least 50 people in our hotel suite. A little before midnight, a group of four guys joined the party who were friends of friends. Being young and naive, 
I remember thinking the more the merrier, instead of who are these people. As soon as these guys entered and started mingling, I noticed how cute one of them was. I didn't say anything to Abigail, since I knew how she was. I let her pick who she thought was the cutest, and avoid her competing with me for attention the rest of the night. Maybe a half hour after the guys arrived, I was standing near the balcony doing shots with a few others, when one of my favorite songs starts playing. Being the hippie I am, I started dancing by myself. Suddenly, someone took my hand and began twirling me around. I soon realized it was the guy from the group that thought I was cute, and he could dance. We twirled around until the song was over, and he then introduced himself. I'm Dylan. You got some moves, girl. Thanks, I'm B. B was and is what everyone calls me. How did you hear about the party? Jay, he responded. Jay was one of our co-workers at the restaurant who was throwing us this party. So, I stupidly assumed that if Jay had invited Dylan, he must be an alright guy. An assumption I would soon regret. Dylan and I stood around talking for about ten minutes when Abby approached us. If you want to dance with someone who could show you a thing or two, save the next one for me, Abby said to Dylan, practically knocking me out of the way. Is that a challenge? It's a guarantee, mister, Abby said, as she ran her finger down his chest and abdomen. I'd had enough. Abby always got what she wanted, so I knew I didn't stand a chance. I turned to leave the two of them, but someone grabbed my hand and stopped me. Hey, where are you going? It was Dylan. Uh... I looked from Dylan to Abby, who was glaring daggers at me. For a refill? I spluttered. Huh, I could use one too. Dylan beamed at me. What about my dance? Abby whined. I'm not really in the mood for a dance lesson, Missy, he told her, adding a snarl on the last word. He was still holding my hand, so he guided me toward the bar on the other side of the room. As we were getting our drinks, I glanced over to where we had been standing, and Abby was still standing in the same spot, with her mouth open. As soon as she noticed me, she gave me a look that sent shivers down my spine. I remember thinking, Great, now I've done it. She's probably going to be a biatch for the rest of the night. As a show of peace... I made Abby her favorite shot and brought it to her. She took it from me, downed it, and then walked away without saying a word. Whatever, I thought. I tried. A little while later, several people, including Dylan and the guys he was with, were trying to convince everyone to go to a club that had just opened about a mile from the hotel. At this point, I was well on my way to getting drunk for only the second time in my life. I was happy keeping the hotel party going, and to my surprise, so were Abby and about a dozen other people. Our party split, with a majority of the attendees going to the club and the rest staying at the hotel. At that point, it was about one in the morning. Abby started being nice to me again, so I celebrated by doing more shots. We continued drinking for the next couple of hours. Everyone was pretty hammered. But we were all getting along, dancing, smoking, and just having a good time. 
Around 3 a.m., some of our partygoers who had gone to the club returned to our hotel room to finish out the night. This included Dylan. Over about 20 minutes, our party regrew from about a dozen to somewhere around 30 people. To be completely honest, I don't remember a ton from about 1.30 to 3.30. As I mentioned before, I was drunk for only the second time and I was trashed. This was the first time that I had ever truly let myself loose. What gets fuzzy in my memory? Other, more sober attendees filled in the gaps for me. However, this next part I can remember in vivid detail. Around 3.30, I was going to the bathroom, alone, because I'm not one of those females. All I remember is washing my hands and suddenly there was someone standing behind me, grinding hard up against me. In my drunken state, I was confused at first because I thought I had locked the door and wondered how one of my friends got in. I finally clued in that it wasn't one of my drunk friends messing with me. It was a guy. In fact, it was Dylan. Finally, I've been dying to get you alone all night, Dylan slurred, clearly way more drunk than before the club. What are you doing in he- I was cut off by Dylan spinning me around and shoving his tongue down my throat. I shoved him, trying to get free from his grasp, and he just clung to me harder. I tried to yell, but he swiftly covered my mouth and got us both to the floor before I knew what was happening. I bit his hand as hard as I could. When he recoiled, I used my legs to kick him off me, but... I couldn't get out because my kick landed him up against the door, and this enraged him. Dylan balled up his fists, and this predatory grin spread across his face as he said, I always love a fighter. The next thing I knew, we both crashed into the bathtub and my eye hurts really bad, but I kept thinking, just kick, bite, claw, and punch anything you come into contact with. I do just that, and somehow I become free of him and the tub. Just as I'm about to grab the door handle and make my escape, he grabs me from behind, and I scream for the first time. I don't know why it took me so long to find my voice, but I didn't get out one loud scream before he had covered my mouth again. Suddenly, the bathroom door opens, and in walks Abigail. Dylan immediately lets go of me and tells Abby that we were just messing around. She tells him that Jay wants to leave soon, so he better get out there if he wants a ride with him. Dylan casually strolls out of the bathroom, and Abby shuts the door behind him. As soon as the door closes, I burst into tears. My clothes are torn, there's blood running out of my mouth from where I bit him, and my eye is rapidly swelling. I was sitting on the edge of the bathtub, and Abby knelt in front of me. Did he do this to you? She asked me. Yes. I managed to get out between sobs. Don't worry, B. I'll handle everything. You just stay in here and I'll take care of Dylan, okay? I nodded my head, and Abby left the bathroom. I moved to the floor and leaned up against the bathtub, and then heard shouting in our room and lots of scuffling. I assumed Abby was handling everything, as she had promised. I buried my head in my lap and waited for Abby to come tell me everything was okay and that Dylan was gone. 
I looked up because I heard the door open and was paralyzed with fear. Dylan was standing in front of me. He locked the bathroom door, turned to look at me, and said seven words that haunt me to this day. Abby said you needed me in here? I was terrified and heartbroken at the same time. Abby said that I needed him? Oh my god, she sent him back in here? My best friend sent a predator back in the bathroom with me because she was jealous. She chose to send my attacker back in for another round as a payback for him not being into her. Dylan then reached down and grabbed my ankle, yanking me across the floor and beneath him. I remember thinking, I'm not about to lose my virginity like this. I am not going to be a victim. If this mother effer is going to take what he wants, I'm not about to make it easy. I then had an idea, and I relaxed beneath him. I made him think I had given up fighting him off. He was ripping my clothes the rest of the way off when I saw my opportunity, and I kicked him in the face as hard as I could. Once again, Dylan's body was blocking the door, so I ripped the hairdryer out of the wall and began beating the crap out of him. As he shielded himself from my blows, he writhed away from the door enough that I could slip out. To my shock and horror, our hotel room was empty. Not a single person, not even my best friend Abby, was there. I would find out later that when Abby left the bathroom to go handle everything, she told everyone the cops were there. Naturally, everyone bounced. I panicked, I grabbed my purse from the closet, and I ran out of the room. I was barefoot, in my underwear and a ripped tank top, had an eye that was swollen shut and more alcohol in my system than I had ever consumed before or since. From this moment on, my memory gets fuzzy again. The last thing I remember clearly is running from the hotel room. I don't remember anything from my drive home. I lived about 30 minutes away from the hotel, and by some miracle, I made it home in one piece. I woke up the next day, black and blue all over, Everything was sore and bruised. The first person I called was Jay, my co-worker who threw us the party and had invited Dylan. I asked him how well he knew Dylan, and he said he went to high school with him and that they are hangout friends, meaning he has partied with him a lot, but they aren't super close. I then tell Jay what happened. He was appalled and assured me that he had no idea Dylan was like that. He kept apologizing for inviting him, but then started making excuses for him. Jay said when Dylan came back from the club, it was the most messed up he had ever seen him. He said, I know my boy likes to party, but I've never seen him be that tore up. He must have done some heavy stuff at that club. I don't care what he did at that club. That mother effer assaulted me. I snapped back at Jay. Jay just kept making excuses, so... I ended the call. I took a shower and replayed the night's events in my head. Why didn't I make sure the door was locked? Why did I drink so much? How could Abigail do such a horrible thing to me? She's supposed to be my best friend. I called my other friend and co-worker Jamie who had helped Jay throw us the party. Jamie tells me that she has also known Dylan for years, and there's no way he was in his right mind if he did what I claimed. If... He did it. 
I realized in that moment that if my friends were having a hard time believing my story, law enforcement definitely wouldn't believe me. I covered up my bruises, I made up an excuse for my parents about my black eye, and went radio silent for a week. Word spread about Dylan. I didn't answer any calls or texts, but I kept my phone on. I continuously received messages from friends saying that Dylan is a good guy and that I should hear his side of the story. Clearly, one of these friends gave Dylan my number because he started texting me. At first, he was begging me to forgive him. He claimed to have done a ton of coke at the club and had no recollection of what had happened in the bathroom. He said he woke up and went to the hospital because someone had beat the crap out of him. When I didn't respond, he started threatening me, saying things like, Jay told me you were the one who caused me to get 15 stitches in my face and head. I'm not getting kicked off the football team because you say I assaulted you. I am the one with stitches. I never responded to any of the messages. After five days, Abigail finally called me. We hadn't gone five days without speaking in four years. Before I could stop myself, I answered the phone, without saying a word. Abby says, Hey B, we're headed to the lake. We'll pick you up on the way. I didn't say anything. Hello, B, are you coming or not? She pressed. No, I responded and hung up. And that was the last time that I ever spoke to Abigail. I decided not to press charges, based on the excuse that I was about to move away for college in less than two months. Because I was young and naive, I also convinced myself that everyone makes mistakes. Maybe Dylan was a good guy who just made a horrible mistake. The weekend before I left for college would reveal just how wrong that assumption was. Eight weeks later, I was enjoying my last weekend of summer at home with my family. That next week... I would be moving over 300 miles away for university. Some of my friends invited me to an after-dark pool party. I decided to go since this would be the last chance I would have to see them before leaving. I rode to the party with my friend, Ashley. We were there for about an hour, when Ashley tells me she just saw Dylan when she went inside to use the bathroom. I immediately froze in place. Ashley tells me to stay outside and that she'll grab my purse and keys from the house, and we'll leave. As I'm waiting on her to return, someone comes up behind me and grabs my hips while whispering in my ear, Are you gonna let me finish what we started last time? Dylan. Instantly, I had confirmation of his character. He really was a predator. He showed me his true self when I first encountered him at the hotel party. He knew exactly what he was doing then, and he meant to assault me. Now, this piece of garbage was taunting me over it. He was relishing in the fact that he had gotten away with it. Now, I'm not one to fear making a scene when I'm uneasy or feel threatened, so I screamed. Didn't I give you enough stitches last time, mother effer? Stay the hell away from me. My sudden outburst caused everyone to look in our direction. Dylan threw his hands up and backed away from me. At that moment, Ashley returned with her keys, and we left. 
I never saw Dylan again after that. If there's anything that I want people to take from this, it's that, one, you can be in an abusive friendship. Friendships are just platonic relationships, and you deserve friends who have your back no matter what. Two, never assume that friends of friends can be trusted. Trusted loved ones, as well as strangers, can and will take advantage of you if you let them. This story is about my first job back when I was 15 years old. I'm now in my mid-30s and have well put it behind me, but it definitely made me more aware and I used it as a good learning experience for my own children when they start working someday. My first job was at a very popular fast food chain, mainly known for their soft-serve treats and desserts. I'm sure you can guess the name, but I will not name the specific place or location for privacy's sake. I was hired as a standard cashier and to assist with making the dessert orders, such as sundaes, parfaits, and the ever-so-popular candy-filled tilt-upside-down treats. I got to know my managers, my co-workers, and even the owners, but the owners were hardly ever there, and even so, they weren't very friendly or reasonable with the staff. One of my managers, we'll call him Jay for this story, was the one that I despised the most. He had been the one to interview and hire me, but there was something about his demeanor and attitude that I did not care for. I was a very bubbly, friendly, and smiley person, which they thought would be good for being a cashier to the customers, and my usual self would always say a friendly hello or try to make friendly small talk amongst my coworkers when we weren't busy. But Jay, it was just the most difficult. It wasn't that he wasn't okay with me being chatty or friendly, but he more so carried a somewhat arrogant or smug attitude about him. He would give me orders or have me do tasks in a matter that started to make me hate the job. For example, one day, I was mopping the front lobby, minding my own business. Jay walks up to me from behind and I suddenly felt something hit my back hard. I turn around to see a broom lying on the floor. Jay had thrown the broom at my back, and when I had turned around, he said in his usual monotone but low voice, The bathrooms, get to them now. By now, I was used to this attitude, so I kept quiet, grabbed the mop and bucket and broom, and headed into the bathrooms to clean the floors. While I was sweeping the floor in the men's bathroom, Jay walks in and watches me. I say hi to him, and he says nothing like usual, and he just stands there watching me with his hands behind his back. Out of the blue, he says, Are you a virgin? I stopped sweeping and I just turned and stared at him for a second, and then I said, What? He asked again. I said, Are you a virgin? I turned away to finish sweeping so I could get the mopping started and said, That isn't an appropriate question for work. And frankly, none of your business. As I bent down, sweeping the trash into the dustpan, Jay walks up to me and yanks on my ponytail and says, 
I asked you a question. Don't you turn your back to me like that, ever. He said it in such a quiet but angry tone. It honestly scared me. This was my first job, and let alone, I've never had someone speak to me like that. I stammered an apology and said I wasn't intending to be rude, but his question made me uncomfortable. Jake continued to stand there, nodding, as if expecting me to still answer his question. At the time, I was a very passive person and did not know how to respond to this. Even though the question was 100% wrong, inappropriate, and was definitely harassment, me being a naive 15-year-old, I didn't want to continue giving any more pushback to my superior. I just quietly told him I was, because, at the time... I hadn't had my first boyfriend yet. Jay just snickered and sort of shook his head at me while chuckling and then said, Yeah, the other guys here and I were trying to figure that out about you. I bet you're a huge prude. With that, he turned and left the bathroom. That was the first bad experience with Jay. Another night, it was closing time, so all of us were assigned with our closing duties. Al, one of our kitchen staff, was cleaning and shutting down the fryers. Tammy, one of the other cashiers, was mopping the front lobby and wiping down the dining room tables, and Jay was closing and counting the tills and registers. I was tasked with cleaning the bathroom sinks, mirrors, and floors again. I was in the back refilling my mop bucket with more soap and water, and as I was wheeling the bucket back to the restrooms, Jay was walking out of the freezer with another co-worker, Mikey. Mikey was another supervisor, who I disliked as much as Jay. Mikey sneered at me and said, Lowly task work for a lowly employee, and he and Jay burst out laughing. I just rolled my eyes and didn't say anything, and headed back inside the women's restroom. As I'm opening the door, I felt a hand around the back of my neck, and before I knew what was happening... I was violently shoved forward and fell onto my knees into the restroom. I look up, and Jay is standing above me, with Mikey standing next to him. Anger completely filled his eyes. He snarled at me. What the F do you think you're doing, rolling your eyes at your supervisors like that? I was in complete shock. I had no idea what to say. I was now completely soaked in water from stumbling over the mop bucket and was thrown down because my disgustingly sick-minded asshole of a manager. Tears were welling in my eyes, and I replied, I wasn't trying to be rude to my superiors. I just didn't care what Mikey had said to me earlier. I started to stand up, and Jay placed a hand on my shoulder and pushed me back against the wall. Apologize, he said quietly. Apologize for rolling your eyes at your superiors. That sort of attitude isn't acceptable on my watch. I know, I know. Everything else he and Mikey had done were completely contradictory to what they were trying to lecture me about, but this goes to show how incredibly sick and messed up they were. I muttered an apology and repeated that I wasn't trying to be a bad employee, but just did not appreciate Mikey's rude comment about me. Jay backed away, seemingly satisfied, and turned to leave the restroom. I just stood there, still in shock. Mikey was still standing by the door of the restroom with a sickening smile on his face. 
I grabbed my mop and started mopping the floor, intending for this to be my last shift after that night. Mikey turned around and pressed the lock on the door handle. I asked him what he was doing. He faces me, still grinning, and literally started to unbuckle his pants. I stood there in complete horror. He then actually pulls out his penis and says, I hear you're a virgin. Ever seen one of these? He started laughing at my horrified reaction. I started inching away from him to leave the restroom, and then he grabs my hand and tells me to touch him. I kid you not, this sick and disgusting pervert actually had his thing pulled out in the restroom and was telling me to touch him. I told him I was not going to do anything with him, and I grabbed the door handle again. Mikey quickly put himself back together and scoffed at me before leaving the restroom, saying, Forget it, you're no fun at all. I'd had enough. I ran out of the restroom, snatched the cordless phone in the office, and called my dad to have him come pick me up right then. I grabbed my purse and headed out towards the front lobby. Tammy saw me and asked if I was okay. I told her what had happened. She looked completely surprised, but then told me that Mikey and Jay were probably just kidding around. I couldn't believe her response. I had nothing else to say to her, and I just left the restaurant. My dad picked me up in the parking lot a few minutes later. As much as I hate to admit it, I never did tell my parents. I know it's common for a lot of kids slash teens to hold these things back, and while it's a bad and very stupid thing to do, I also see why. You feel embarrassed about it, or you somehow think you're partially responsible for it. So I kept it to myself. I did, however, tell my parents I wasn't enjoying the job, and I never went back there again. So, while this story is not technically scary, it's definitely a good life lesson to know that you should never allow yourself to be put in any situation like this. Even if it's by someone who is in a superior position to you, it is never okay. Creeps and scumbags exist everywhere, even in our very own work environments. I saw what I can only describe as a UFO. This happened late winter the year that I was in 8th grade. I lived in a desolate upstate New York town, on a piece of property that had forest around most of its perimeter. It should be noted that I have a degree in applied physics and experience working in semiconductor R&D, so I am a very evidence-based and skeptical person. I don't like to accept bizarre or supernatural explanations for anything, but this incident falls outside of my ability to debunk. One midweek night, I was taking out the garbage as normal. My parents were watching an overblown, sensationalist cable news show that repelled me, and my sister had some trash indie rock blaring from her room, so I opted to linger outside and take in the starry sky regardless of the cold, dry air nipping at my face. One upside to living in such an underpopulated and uneventful area is that you never had the issue of artificial light interfering with your ability to take in the cosmos in its fullest glory. I'd been stargazing for what was most likely two or three minutes 
when a large, impossible-to-ignore object came into my periphery. Above the tree line, on the north side of my yard, was a somewhat bottle-shaped craft with circular, marble-white lights dotted around it. It appeared to be slowly oscillating in at least one dimension. I can most reasonably liken its movements to that of a buoy in mild waves. It could not have been more than 500 feet above the ground. I scrambled to generate an explanation of what the craft could be. A blimp? No, it didn't have the passenger compartment underneath. Its shape had more ridges, and it was floating at a far lower altitude than any blimp ever did. Besides, who flies a blimp above a nigh-dead region at night, at a time of year when hardly anyone's going outside? It didn't stand up to scrutiny. I certainly didn't know of any planes that had its non-aerodynamic appearance. After a minute of staring at this airborne aberration, trying to make sense of it, it zoomed off into the horizon, its glaring lights the only feature I could distinguish during this immeasurably quick acceleration. The craft went from an idle hover to a speed I cannot attempt to estimate in substantially less than a second, all without making a single decibel of noise. If this truly was an alien craft, I guess I should just be glad that it wasn't interested in me. I grew up in a small town like a one-stoplight tumbleweed blowing down the road kind of town. Being an introvert is especially painful when you don't have many people around. It's hard enough to make friends when there's unlimited options, but when your class is about 70 kids or so, well, you can imagine how tough my early school career was. Luckily enough, I was rather good at baseball, and I made some great friends on my little league team all the way until the end of high school ball. Through the years, I stayed tight with two guys. I'll call them Chase and Taylor, and Harley, Chase's girlfriend. We were all skeptical at first when Chase started bringing her around, but it didn't last long. She was cool and legitimately loved baseball, like we did. In fact, she was a star softball player in her own right. Our small town is in Arizona, which might be funny if you realize the name of that town, as I previously mentioned, is Lake Hill. I'm sure you know there aren't many lakes in Arizona. There isn't water at all for the most part, but we did have a lake. It was beautiful, almost an anomaly in a landscape of scorched earth and rock lawns. My parents brought us to the campgrounds at Lake Hill often, Never to actually camp overnight, but there was a beach we could enjoy. There was also an arcade, ski-doo rental, and so much more to entertain us pre-internet era kids. Being that it was a small town, my parents were friends with Chase and Taylor's parents, so often we would all go together. Of course, Harley would usually tag along too. In the insanely hot summers of the Grand Canyon State, being at Lake Hill was an oasis of pure satisfaction. But when we asked if we could camp sometime, 
we all got the same response from every parent. This isn't really the best place to camp, my dad said. Yeah, the campsites aren't really kept up, Chase's parents said. The owners really just like to focus on the entertainment part of the campground. We all brushed it off as kids, not thinking too much about it. We never knew of anyone that actually camped overnight there, come to think of it. We all quickly dismissed it, going back to the concession shack to get more corn dogs and Bahama Mama slushes. Chase, Taylor, Harley, and I were thick as thieves by our senior year. Harley and Chase were going off to ASU in the fall. Taylor decided to skip school altogether and work for the family business. A long life of fixing air conditioning units until you die, I thought to myself. I was hesitant, but I decided to also go to the college route. I hoped that I got accepted to ASU, not only because it's a great school, but I would at least know two people out of the thousands that were there. Unfortunately, I did not get the letter of congratulations. My safety school, however, did take me. Here we go, Phoenix University. I know what you're thinking. I didn't want it to come to this either, but I was going to be on the actual campus at Tempe. I guess that made me feel better in some weird way. Fast forward two semesters, and all of us made it back home for the summer. It felt great to reconnect with the old gang. After meeting up at Taylor's place, we all shared our various college stories. We were having a great time, reconnecting, and it was awesome to all be back together like kids. Eventually, we got to the topic of our time at the Lake Hill campground. It felt like we were back there swimming in the lake, playing volleyball, and laying under the stars until our parents yelled for us to pack up to start heading back home. Hey, why don't we go there this weekend, but actually camp there for once? It is a campground after all, said Chase. Yeah, why didn't we ever do that? Harley chimed in. I reminded them that our parents always shut that idea down, saying that the grounds were never kept up. Well, we're grown-ups now, Taylor said. I have a truck, we can pack up a couple of tents and get a campsite for next to nothing. We were all silent for a moment, and then looked at each other with gleeful mischief, and we all agreed to do it. Being that the internet now ruled life, we looked online and got the number to the campground. I was the one that made the call. Hello? An older-sounding man said. Hey, can we uh, reserve a campsite for this weekend? There's four of us, I said. The man on the other line paused and then somewhat hesitantly said, Uh, sure. Have you ever camped here before? No. We thought this would be fun, being that the weather was nice and we had nothing else going on right now. Okay, okay, we have a few sites open. How does Site 237 sound? I couldn't have cared less if it was 237 or 2,000,000 37. We were finally going to go camping at Lake Hill. I was so looking forward to our upcoming camping weekend. We were all tasked with jobs. Chase and Harley brought food and snacks. Taylor had the truck, so he didn't need to do much else, although he did have the tents for us to stay in. And that left me to procure some adult beverages. My parents were always loose with the liquor cabinets, so that was no problem. 
When we rolled up to site number 237, we were amazed by how beautiful it was. We were also amazed at how deep woods it was. It wasn't that close to the lake, and we couldn't believe that none of us had ever been to this side of the campgrounds. All of us were feeling really good. The tents were set, the drinks were flowing, and the weather was great. The high school stories just kept coming. Hey, remember when you ripped your pants and everyone saw your butt hair? Taylor yelled to Chase. I had a mouthful of cheap beer that made a hasty exit out of my nose. A little embarrassed, but getting into the spirit of things, Chase retorted with, Yeah, how about whenever you, uh, shh? Harley sat up in her camp chair, holding both arms in somewhat of a T-pose to all of us guys. We all exchanged worried glances toward each other. Did you hear that? She said. I looked at Chase and Taylor with that WTF facial reaction, but then I did hear it. A cracking noise came from within the woods. I suggested it was just an animal, and maybe this was the time for us to pack it in and call it a night. As Harley was getting her stuff together for her and Chase, I stood by the fire with Taylor. We'd already forgot the awkwardness just a few moments earlier, and were ready to kill the fire. Then... The animal-like sound crept into our area. At first, it was a low growl, something that couldn't have been a coyote or any other animal in this area. I took out my flashlight, brushing it across the woods. It stopped on an impossible sight. There, in the distance, was a beast that made me freeze in place. It seemed like the monster was also frozen, but not in fear. It had to be nearly seven feet tall, with unnaturally long talon-like fingers. The rows of sharp teeth never ended, even more disturbing compared to its grayish skin. Its eyes were locked on us, waiting to attack. Quietly, I whispered, Run! I grabbed Taylor and started to head for the truck. We yelled for Chase and Harley to get out of the tent they had just set up and to follow us. Confused? They didn't really have a chance to question it. Now, we were all running for the Dodge Ram like our lives depended on it. I could feel the stomach-turning stench of the creature's breath on our backs. I threw Chase and Harley into the back as I dove into the passenger seat. Taylor was already shooting for the driver's side. After what seemed like a lifetime, Taylor grabbed the right key and fired the truck up and spun the wheels getting us out of there. All I could see in the rearview mirror was a dark gray thing breathing heavily. It wanted us. Who knows how many victims it had already gotten. We all made it to our respective homes safely. We, again, went our separate ways. And we never spoke again about what happened. So, I guess I only ask that if you are going to go camping at Lake Hill, Arizona, do not camp at site number 237. There are things that always stick with us and will never go away. Things that may haunt and terrorize you for no specific reason other than to scare you. What I'm about to share to you is not only experienced by me, but two other people. One night, my mother and I were on a three-hour road trip to Birmingham. 
The sun was setting, so I thought it would be a perfect time to listen to a scary story in the car. We got done listening to a scary story of a paranormal encounter of a dark figure taunting none other than the narrator. When the story was done, my mom turned to me and said, This actually reminds me of two encounters I had when you were a baby. This caught my attention, so I listened. This is what I remember her saying. After a month of being born, my bedroom was finally complete. There was a rocking chair next to the crib at the corner of the room. Parallel to the chair was the door that led to the hallway. As mother was always rocking me to sleep, she saw something dart from one room into the hallway and scurry behind a wall that is connected to the doorframe of my room. She saw this because my room was at the end of the hall, so it was easy to see what was going on there. The only kind of pet that we had was an outside dog that usually spent their time in the garage. She was on guard now and was keeping her eyes peeled on the door that was slightly opened. After a few minutes, there was nothing. So, she continued rocking me to sleep. Just moments past this, something darted in, ran across the room and up the wall that was behind her. It then ran on the ceiling and into the top of my closet that was in front of my crib on the same wall as the door to the hallway. She quickly got out of there and told my dad what happened, but he didn't believe her. When it was time for me to sleep, she cautiously sneaked back into my room and put me in the crib. She was about to leave when she noticed a necklace with a cross on it. She picked it up, made a prayer of whatever the figure wanted to not do harm, and placed the necklace under my pillow. About another month had passed by, and there have been no sightings until her friend, Mandy, came over to see me. This one requires you to know the layout of the house. Well, at least part of it, so I'll do my best to explain it. When you sit down on the couch, to maybe watch TV, to the left of it is the start of the hallway. You can see the end of the hallway from where you sit, which means you can see my room. On the left side of the hallway is a door to my sister's room, which is my room now, and my parents' room. And that is also the door closest to my door. On the right is the bathroom and storage closet. As mom was washing the dishes, she hears Mandy call out, Hey, I didn't know you guys had a cat. Mom stopped the sink and responded, What do you mean? Oh, I, I saw a black cat run from your room into Jack's room. Puzzled, my mom walked into the living room and said with a serious face, We don't have a cat. My room was searched, but there was no luck. Many years passed by, and I'm in a different room of the house. The perspective now will be changing to my point of view. At this time, I was about nine years old. I was playing video games with an online friend. It was very late at night, and I was getting tired. I didn't want to disappoint my friend of me having to go to bed, including the fact that it was a weekend, so I told him I was going to get some soda and that I'd be right back. So, I got up, turned around to face my bed, and was about to start making my way to the kitchen until I noticed something under my bed. 
I can't explain it well, but they looked like fingers belonging to a velociraptor that were wriggling from under my bed. Like they were trying to get me. I stood there, frozen, blinking, trying to make sense of that current situation. It was real. You could say that I was tired, but when you're scared, the adrenaline makes it seem like you just chugged an entire gallon of energy drinks. I snapped out of it and ran out of there. I had three cats at the time. Two were in the living room, and the other avoided my room at all cost. I was scared and dumbfounded. I got that drink and I told my friend that I was going to bed. As if I even slept on my bed that night. And needless to say... I slept on the couch with the cats. There hasn't been another serious encounter after that. Now that I'm in a room in the middle of the house, the same room as the last encounter, I can hear everything going on. That includes the anonymous noises, like tapping, scratching footsteps, and, on rare occasions, voices. All of that usually happens when I'm home alone, Sometimes I see a figure at the corner of my eye, or see that damn thing in front of my old room in the dark emptiness of the hallway. Such an event happened as I was actually writing this. <laughs> Such a cliche situation, right? There was scratching in the dryer, so I went to investigate. I took my phone out and recorded it. There was scratching, so I hid it and it stopped. I walked outside to see if there was anything causing it, but nothing. I came back in and turned on the dryer to make sure it wasn't an unwanted pest, and when I opened it, it was nothing but clothes. My family and I once lived in a very, very haunted flat near a castle. We had experienced many paranormal events, too many to even count. This is just one of them. On this particular day, we were expecting family to come over, that being my cousins. Me, my sister, and my mom were all at home, whilst my dad was at work. We waited a while for them to arrive, until we all heard what sounded exactly like them outside. So, we ran toward the window, saying, Oh, it's, it's them. They're here. My mom and sister then claimed they could see their red car and them coming out of the car, chatting and laughing amongst themselves in their usual tone and manner. Although I could hear what sounded exactly like them, no one was there. I thought my sister and mom were just pranking me, so I laughed and said, Haha, very funny. They're not even here. They both looked at me confused and then pointed at the same spot outside the window and said, that's them right there. Look, it's their car too, can't you see them? I was baffled. I could only hear their voices. I looked and looked, but no one was there. They said they noticed that one cousin did not come along with them. There were three of them instead of four. My mom suddenly said, Oh, they went into another flat. That's strange. My mom found that unusual as they had come around many times, so they knew our address well. At this, my mom decided to ring them. One of my cousins answered the phone. My mom asked, Where are y'all going? We saw you go into another flat. And my cousin responded, 
We haven't even left yet. I just moved into a two-bedroom condo years ago. My friend was separated from her husband at the time and needed someone to help pay the rent. I was given the large master bedroom with a bathroom. There was also large sliding glass doors that opened, but there was a railing so you could not walk out. In the living room, which was next to my room, there was another set of sliding glass doors. At night, it was a little spooky. The condo was in the back with a large hillside, covered with trees, brush, and it was very dark. My friend decided to take her seven-year-old son to New Hampshire to visit family, and it was the first time alone in the house. Just me and my cat Charlie. It was a summer evening, and Charlie wanted to go out, so I opened the slider in my room about five inches or so, and I left it open. I went back to get something to eat from the kitchen, and I came back and watched some TV, wondering where my cat was. I walked to the door and peered out into the darkness, and called my cat. I couldn't see him at first. I looked up to the top of the hill, and my cat was staring at something to the left of me, and would not move. I opened the sliding door more so I could see what Charlie was looking at, it was so dark, I leaned out over the railing and looked to the left, and I could see something against the building, but the more I focused, I could not believe. It was a man, standing with his body flat up against the building, his face covered with a nylon stocking. I jumped back inside, slamming the slider. I shut it, but it did not shut all the way. I ran into the kitchen to call the police and my dad. The policeman thought it was just a college kid, but I knew better. I really don't know what would have happened if it wasn't for my cat to alert me that something wasn't right. So this was once again a collection of submitted stories. A huge thank you to all of the listeners who submitted their stories to my channel without you all. This video wouldn't be possible. Without you guys that listen, watch my videos, none of this would be possible. Your support uh, in just watching, commenting, hitting that thumbs up button, just being around my channel and showing that you enjoy my content, it's huge. So thank you so very much to everybody. I want you all to know that I really, really do appreciate all this um, more than I could ever hope to state. It really cannot be overstated how thankful I am that you all allow me to continue doing this. So once more, thank you. A huge thank you to all these people who submitted their stories. If you have a story you want to send my way, go to AsTheRavenDreams.com slash submit, or check the links down below, or you can email it to me at AsTheRavenDreams.com at gmail or outlook.com, either one. If you enjoyed the video, please do hit that thumbs up button. Subscribe to the channel if you're new and leave me a comment letting me know your thoughts. If you want to further support the channel, a little extra, never expected, but always appreciated, you can hit the join button down below or go to patreon.com slash asTheRavenDreams and for a dollar a month, get early access to all of my content. Up to 24 hours early. I think it's a pretty good deal. 
If you go for the higher tiers on Patreon, you get extra stuff. And I guarantee I'll make it worth your while. So, just saying. Alright friends, we are very deep in our way to 5,000 subscribers. Once we hit that 5,000 subscriber number, I'm going to be doing a giveaway. Some merch, some posters, some other stuff for funsies. So, get in now while you can. Alright, I hope I'll see you in the next video, but until then, sleep well.